Hey everyone, welcome back to Black Clock Audio Tales. I am your editor, producer, host, and all-around person who does... Thank you for listening. As always, the show is brought to you by bunnieslippers.com. I just have to say, the Highland Cow Slippers continue to keep my feet warm as I record. Oh man. Woo, baby. And hopefully in October, I'll be throwing a pair out into... Uh, some panel group at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Hopefully that's going on in October. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone's staying safe. I hope everyone's staying clean. And when you're out and about, staying sterile. I don't know. Hey, just keep your brain going. Listen to some Oz. <coughs> I, I wonder what happens if, if uh, you sync uh, this podcast up with... Uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, or who? Maybe if you uh, play the podcast while you watch Live at Pompeii. I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> um, I, I don't mean to laugh at my own jokes, but there's no one else here too. So yeah, um, hope you checked out and enjoyed David Heath talking about Wizard of Oz and pop culture. And coming up soon, we're going to have Ken Height talking about The Wizard of Oz. I should have done a special where I put them together, but I didn't think about that. Oh, man. I fell down some stairs the other day. I hurt my ankle and my wrist. It's... I'm, I'm finally getting this all out at the last minute, but yeah. So, hey, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you enjoy this week. This is the final week of Oz. This is the fifth story of... Dorothy Gale? Yeah, Dorothy Gale. Okay, so... But there's a ton more Oz books out there. There is seriously an insane amount of Oz books. They kept writing them. Not just... Uh, like, um, kind of like the Oz... Kind of like the Oz Society approves fan fiction kind of stuff. It's a ton of stuff out there. I, I, I recommend checking out the artwork at least. It's, it's very cool, interesting stuff. And... Yeah, Wizard of Oz, it's fun, it's, I enjoy it, Hope, oh, hopefully you're enjoying it, and you've made it through the five books, I can't remember what next month is, but it's going to be fun, and also don't forget to check out People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, coming out on Tuesday of this week, and we're going to be talking about a certain region of France that Clark Ashton Smith wrote about, and what else can we think, yeah, no, remember to subscribe, listen, uh, tell your friends about it, and that's the best way you can help the show is rate and review on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else that podcasts are found, because that's what's helpful. Here we go. Chapter 25. How the Scarecrow Displayed His Wisdom This amazing news had saddened every heart, and all were now anxious to return to the Emerald City and share Ozma's fate. So they started without loss of time, and as the road led past the Scarecrow's new mansion, they determined to make a brief halt there and confer with him. The Scarecrow is probably the wisest man in all Oz, remarked the Tin Woodman, when they had started upon their journey. His brains are plentiful and of excellent quality, and often he has told me things I might never have thought of myself. I must say, I rely a great deal upon the Scarecrow's brains in this emergency. The Tin Woodman rode on the front seat of the wagon, where Dorothy sat between him and the wizard. "'Has the Scarecrow heard of Ozma's trouble?' asked the Captain General. "'I do not know, sir,' 
was the reply. When I was a private, said Ambi Ambi, I was an excellent army, as I fully proved in our war against the gnomes. But now there is not a single private left in our army since Ozma made me the captain general, so there is no one to fight and defend our lovely ruler. True, said the wizard. The present army is composed only of officers, and the business of an officer is to order his men to fight. Since there are no men, there can be no fighting. Poor Ozma, whispered Dorothy with tears in her sweet eyes. It's dreadful to think of all her lovely fairy country being destroyed. I wonder if we couldn't manage to escape and get back to Kansas by means of the magic belt. And we might take Ozma with us and all work hard to get money for her so she wouldn't be so very lonely and unhappy about the loss of her fairyland. Do you think there would be any work for me in Kansas? asked the Tin Woodman. If you are hollow, they might use you in a canning factory, suggested Uncle Henry. But I can't see the use of your working for a living. You never eat or sleep or need a new suit of clothes. I was not thinking of myself, replied the Emperor with dignity. I merely wondered if I could not help to support Dorothy and Ozma. As they indulged in these sad plans for the future, they journeyed in sight of the Scarecrow's new mansion, and even though filled with care and worry over the impending fate of Oz, Dorothy couldn't help a feeling of wonder at the sight she saw. The Scarecrow's new house was shaped like an immense ear of corn. The rows of kernels were made of solid gold, and the green upon which the ear stood upright was a mass of sparkling emeralds. Upon the very top of the structure was perched a figure representing the Scarecrow himself, and upon his extended arms, as well as upon his head, were several crows carved out of ebony and having ruby eyes. You can imagine how big this ear of corn was when I tell you that a single gold kernel formed a window swinging outward upon hinges, while a row of four kernels opened to make the front entrance. Inside there were five stories, each story being a single room. The gardens around the mansion consisted of cornfields, and Dorothy acknowledged that the place was in all respects a very appropriate home for her good friend the Scarecrow. He would have been very happy here, I'm sure, she said, if only the Gnome King had left us alone. But if Oz is destroyed, of course this place will be destroyed too. Yes, replied the Tin Woodman, and also my beautiful tin castle that has been my joy and pride. Jack Pumpkinhead's house will go too, remarked the wizard, as well as Professor Wogglebug's athletic college and Ozma's royal palace and all our other handsome buildings. Yes, Oz will indeed become a desert when the Gnome King gets through with it, sighed Omby Amby. The Scarecrow came out to meet them and gave them all a hearty welcome. I hear you have decided always to live in the land of Oz after this, he said to Dorothy, and that will delight my heart, for I have greatly disliked our frequent partings. But why are you all so downcast? Have you heard the news? asked the Tin Woodman. No news to make me sad, replied the Scarecrow. Then Nick Chopper, 
told his friend of the Gnome King's tunnel, and how the evil creatures of the North had allied themselves with the underground monarch for the purpose of conquering and destroying Oz. Well, said the Scarecrow, it certainly looks bad for Ozma and all of us, but I believe it is wrong to worry over anything before it happens. It is surely time enough to be sad when our country is despoiled and our people made slaves. So let us not deprive ourselves of the few happy hours remaining to us. Ah, that is real wisdom, declared the shaggy man approvingly. After we become really unhappy, we shall regret these few hours that are left to us unless we enjoy them to the utmost. Nevertheless, said the scarecrow, I shall go with you to the Emerald City and offer Ozma my services. She says we can do nothing to oppose our enemies, announced the Tin Woodman. And doubtless she is right, sir, answered the Scarecrow. Still she will appreciate our sympathy, and it is the duty of Ozma's friends to stand by her side when the final disaster occurs. He then led them into his queer mansion and showed them the beautiful rooms in all the five stories. The lower room was a grand reception hall with a hand organ in one corner. This instrument the scarecrow, when alone, would turn to amuse himself, as he was very fond of music. The walls were hung with white silk, upon which flocks of black crows were embroidered in black diamonds. Some of the chairs were made in the shape of big crows and upholstered with cushions of corn-colored silk. The second story contained a fine banquet room where the scarecrow might entertain his guests, and the three stories above there were bedchambers exquisitely furnished and decorated. From these rooms, said the scarecrow proudly, one may obtain fine views of the surrounding cornfields. The corn I grow is always husky and I call the ears my regiments, because they have so many kernels. Of course, I cannot ride my cobs, but I really don't care shucks about that. Taken all together, my farm will stack up with any in the neighborhood. The visitors partook of some light refreshment, and then hurried away to resume the road to the Emerald City. The Scarecrow found a seat in the wagon between Omby Amby and the Shaggy Man, and his weight did not add much to the load because he was stuffed with straw. You will notice I have one oat field on my property, he remarked as they drove away. Oat straw is, I have found, the best of all straws to re-stuff myself with when my interior gets musty or out of shape. Are you able to re-stuff yourself without help? asked Aunt Em. I should think that after the straw was taken out of you, there wouldn't be anything left but your clothes. You are correct, madam, he answered. My servants do the stuffing under my direction, for my head, in which are my excellent brains, is a bag tied at the bottom. My face is neatly painted upon one side of the bag, as you may see. My head does not need restuffing as my body does, for all that it requires is to have the face touched up with fresh paint occasionally. It was not far from the Scarecrow's mansion to the farm of Jack Pumpkinhead, and when they arrived there both Uncle Henry and Aunt Em were much impressed. The farm was one vast pumpkin field, and some of the pumpkins were of enormous size. In one of them, which had been neatly hollowed out, Jack himself lived, 
and he declared that it was a very comfortable residence. The reason he grew so many pumpkins was in order that he might change his head as often as it became wrinkled or threatened to spoil. The pumpkin-headed man welcomed his visitors joyfully and offered them several delicious pumpkin pies to eat. I don't indulge in pumpkin pies myself for two reasons, he said. One reason is that were I to eat pumpkins, I would become a cannibal, and the other reason is that I never eat, not being hollow inside. Very good reasons, agreed the scarecrow. They told Jack Pumpkinhead of the dreadful news about the Gnome King, and he decided to go with them to the Emerald City and help comfort Ozma. I had expected to live here in ease and comfort for many centuries, said Jack dolefully, but, of course, if the Gnome King destroys everything in Oz, I shall be destroyed, too. Really, it seems too bad, doesn't it? They were soon on their journey again, and so swiftly did the sawhorse draw the wagon over the smooth roads that before twilight fell they had reached the royal palace in the Emerald City and were at their journey's end. End of Chapter 25 everyone i hope you're enjoying emerald city of oz and just a reminder it really helps if you you don't have to donate money you don't have to do anything all you have to do is go to wherever you find this show and just review it give it a couple of stars give it well more than a couple of stars i mean at least three or four and you know always say something not always geez i don't want to tell you what to do but say something nice i don't know there's people who don't like the first three minutes and are like really mean about it and uh yeah i don't know it's not anyway just just it helps the show and it gets me money for advertising so i don't have to do this in the middle of the show all right thank you very much and hope you enjoy the next 15 to 20 minutes left of the show all right thank you have a good one six how ozma refused to fight for her kingdom Ozma was in her rose garden picking a bouquet when the party arrived, and she greeted all her old and new friends as smilingly and sweetly as ever. Dorothy's eyes were full of tears as she kissed the lovely ruler of Oz, and she whispered to her, Oh, Ozma, Ozma, I'm so sorry. Ozma seemed surprised. Sorry for what, Dorothy? she asked. For all your trouble about the Gnome King, was the reply. Ozma laughed with genuine amusement. Why, that does not trouble me a bit, dear princess, she replied. Then, looking around at the sad faces of her friends, she added, Have you all been worrying about this tunnel? We have, they exclaimed in a chorus. Well, perhaps it is more serious than I imagined, admitted the fair ruler, but I haven't given the matter much thought. After dinner, we will all meet together and talk it over. So they went to their rooms and prepared for dinner, and Dorothy dressed herself in her prettiest gown and put on her coronet, for she thought that this might be the last time she would ever appear as a princess of Oz. The Scarecrow, the Tin Woodman, and Jack Pumpkinhead all sat at the dinner table, although none of them was made so he could eat. Usually they served to enliven the meal with their merry talk, but tonight all seemed strangely silent and uneasy. As soon as the dinner was finished, Ozma led the company to her private room in which hung the magic picture. 
When they had seated themselves, the Scarecrow was the first to speak. Is the Gnome King's tunnel finished, Ozma? he asked. It was completed today, she replied. They have built it right under my palace grounds, and it ends in front of the Forbidden Fountain. Nothing but a crust of earth remains to separate our enemies from us, and when they march here they will easily break through this crust and rush upon us. Who will assist the Gnome King? inquired the Scarecrow. The Whimsies, the Growlywogs, and the Fanfasms, she replied. I watched today in my magic picture the messengers whom the Gnome King sent to all these people to summon them to assemble in his great caverns. Let us see what they are doing now, suggested the Tin Woodman. So Ozma wished to see the Gnome King's cavern, and at once the landscape faded from the magic picture and was replaced by the scene then being enacted in the jeweled cavern of King Roquat. A wild and startling scene it was which the Oz people beheld. Before the Gnome King stood the chief of the Whimsies and the grand Galliput of the Growlywogs, surrounded by their most skillful generals. Very fierce and powerful they looked, so that even the Gnome King and General Guff, who stood beside its master, seemed a bit fearful in the presence of their allies. Now a still more formidable creature entered the cavern. It was the first and foremost of the Fanfasms, and he proudly sat down in King Roquat's own throne and demanded the right to lead his forces through the tunnel in advance of all the others. The first and foremost now appeared to all eyes in his hairy skin and the bear's head. What his real form was, even Roquat did not know. Through the arches leading into the vast series of caverns that lay beyond the throne room of King Roquat could be seen ranks upon ranks of the invaders. Thousands of fanfasms, growlywogs, and whimsies standing in serried lines, while behind them were massed a thousands upon thousands of General Guff's own army of gnomes. Listen! whispered Ozma. I think we can hear what they are saying. So they kept still and listened. Is it all ready? demanded the first and foremost haughtily. The tunnel is finally completed, replied General Guff. How long will it take us to march to the Emerald City? asked the Grand Gallipoot of the Growlywogs. If we start at midnight, replied the Gnome King, we shall arrive at the Emerald City by daybreak. Then, while all the Oz people are sleeping, we will capture them and make them our slaves. After that, we will destroy the city itself and march through the land of Oz, burning and devastating as we go. Good, cried the first and foremost. When we get through with Oz, it will be a desert wilderness. Ozma shall be my slave. She shall be my slave, shouted the Grand Gallipoot angrily. We'll decide that by and by, said King Roquat hastily. Don't let us quarrel now, friends. First let us conquer Oz, and then we will divide the spoils of war in a satisfactory manner. The first and foremost smiled wickedly, but he only said, I and my fanfasms go first for nothing on earth can oppose our power. They all agreed to that, knowing the Phanfasms to be the mightiest of the combined forces. 
King Roquat now invited them to attend a banquet he had prepared, where they might occupy themselves in eating and drinking until midnight arrived. As they had now seen and heard all of the plot against them that they cared to, Ozma allowed her magic picture to fade away. Then she turned to her friends and said, Our enemies will be here sooner than I expected. What do you advise me to do? It is now too late to assemble our people, said the tin woodman despondently. If you had allowed me to arm and drill my winkies, we might have put up a good fight and destroyed many of our enemies before we were conquered. The munchkins are good fighters, too, said Ambi Ambi, and so are the gillikins. But I do not wish to fight, declared Ozma firmly. No one has the right to destroy any living creatures, however evil they may be, or to hurt them or make them unhappy. I will not fight even to save my kingdom. The Nome King is not so particular, remarked the Scarecrow. He intends to destroy us all and ruin our beautiful country. Because the Nome King intends to do evil is no excuse for my doing the same, replied Ozma. Self-preservation is the first law of nature, quoted the Shaggy Man. True, she said readily. I would like to discover a plan to save ourselves without fighting. That seemed a hopeless task to them, but realizing that Ozma was determined not to fight, they tried to think of some means that might promise escape. Couldn't we bribe our enemies by giving them a lot of emeralds and gold? asked Jack Pumpkinhead. No, because they believe they are able to take everything we have, replied the ruler. I have thought of something, said Dorothy. What is it, dear? asked Ozma. Let us use the magic belt to wish all of us in Kansas. We will put some emeralds in our pockets and can sell them in Topeka for enough to pay off the mortgage on Uncle Henry's farm. Then we can all live together and be happy. A clever idea, exclaimed the Scarecrow. Kansas is a very good country. I've been there, said the Shaggy Man. That seems to me an excellent plan, approved the Tin Woodman. No, said Ozma decidedly. Never will I desert my people and leave them to so cruel a fate. I will use the magic belt to send the rest of you to Kansas if you wish. But if my beloved country must be destroyed and my people enslaved, I will remain and share their fate. Quite right, asserted the Scarecrow, sighing. I will remain with you. And so will I, declared the Tin Woodman and the Shaggy Man and Jack Pumpkinhead in turn. Tick-Tock, the Machine Man, also said he intended to stand by Ozma. For, said he, I should be of no use at all in Kansas. For my part, announced Dorothy gravely, if the ruler of Oz must not desert her people, a princess of Oz has no right to run away either. I'm willing to become a slave with the rest of you, so all we can do with the magic belt is to use it to send Uncle Henry and Aunt Em back to Kansas. I've been a slave all my life, Aunt Em sighed with considerable cheerfulness, and so has Henry. I guess we won't go back to Kansas anyway. I'd rather take my chances with the rest of you. Ozma smiled upon them all gratefully. There is no need to despair just yet, she said. I'll get up early tomorrow morning and be at the Forbidden Fountain when the fierce warriors break through the crust of the earth. I will speak to them pleasantly, and perhaps they won't be so very bad after all. 
Why do they call it the Forbidden Fountain? asked Dorothy thoughtfully. Don't you know, dear? returned Ozma, surprised. No, said Dorothy. Of course I've seen the fountain in the palace grounds ever since I first came to Oz, and I've read the sign which says all persons are forbidden to drink at this fountain, but I never knew why they were forbidden. The water seems clear and sparkling, and it bubbles up in a golden basin all the time. That water, declared Ozma gravely, is the most dangerous thing in all the land of Oz. It is the water of oblivion. What does that mean? asked Dorothy. Whoever drinks at the Forbidden Fountain at once forgets everything he has ever known, Ozma asserted. It wouldn't be a bad way to forget our troubles, suggested Uncle Henry. That is true, but you would forget everything else and become as ignorant as a baby, returned Ozma. Does it make one crazy? asked Dorothy. No, it only makes one forget, replied the girl ruler. It is said that once long, long ago a wicked king ruled Oz and made himself and all his people very miserable and unhappy. So Glinda the Good Sorceress placed this fountain here, and the king drank of its water and forgot all his wickedness. His mind became innocent and vacant, and when he learned the things of life again they were all good things. But the people remembered how wicked their king had been, and were still afraid of him. Therefore he made them all drink of the water of oblivion and forget everything they had known, so that they became as simple and innocent as their king. After that they all grew wise together, and their wisdom was good, so that peace and happiness reigned in the land. But for fear someone might drink of the water again, and in an instant forget all he had learned, the king put that sign upon the fountain, where it has remained for many centuries up to this very day. They had all listened intently to Ozma's story, and when she finished speaking, there was a long period of silence while all thought upon the curious magical power of the water of oblivion. Finally, the scarecrow's painted face took on a broad smile that stretched the cloth as far as it would go. How thankful I am, he said, that I have such an excellent assortment of brains. I gave you the best brains I ever mixed, declared the wizard with an air of pride. You did indeed, agreed the scarecrow. And they work so splendidly that they have found a way to save Oz, to save us all. I'm glad to hear that, said the wizard. We never needed saving more than we do just now. Do you mean to say you can save us from those awful fanfasms and growlywogs and whimsies? asked Dorothy eagerly. I'm sure of it, my dear, asserted the scarecrow, still smiling genially. Tell us how, cried the tin woodman. Not now, said the scarecrow. You may all go to bed, and I advise you to forget your worries just as completely as if you had drunk of the water of oblivion in the forbidden fountain. I'm going to stay here and tell my plan to Ozma alone, but if you will all be at the Forbidden Fountain at daybreak, you will see how easily we will save the kingdom when our enemies break through the crust of earth and come from the tunnel. So they went away and let the Scarecrow and Ozma alone, but Dorothy could not sleep a wink all night. He is only a Scarecrow, she said to herself. And I'm not sure that his mixed brains are as clever as he thinks they are. But she knew that if the scarecrow's plan failed, 
they were all lost, so she tried to have faith in him. End of chapter 26 Chapter 27 How the Fierce Warriors Invaded Oz The Nome King and his terrible allies sat at the banquet table until midnight. There was much quarreling between the Growlywogs and Fanfasms, and one of the wee-headed whimsies got angry at General Guff and choked him until he nearly stopped breathing, yet no one was seriously hurt and the Nome King felt much relieved when the clock struck twelve and they all sprang up and seized their weapons. "'Aha!' shouted the first and foremost. "'Now to conquer the land of Oz!' He marshaled his phantasms in battle array, and at his word of command they marched into the tunnel and began the long journey through it to the Emerald City. The first and foremost intended to take all the treasures of Oz for himself, to kill all who could be killed and enslave the rest, to destroy and lay waste the whole country, and afterward to conquer and enslave the gnomes, the growlywogs, and the whimsies. And he knew his power was sufficient to enable him to do all these things easily. Next marched into the tunnel the army of gigantic growlywogs with their grand gullypoot at their head. They were dreadful beings indeed, and longed to get to Oz that they might begin to pilfer and destroy. The Grand Gullipoot was a little afraid of the first and foremost, but had a cunning plan to murder or destroy that powerful being and secure the wealth of Oz for himself. Mighty little of the plunder would the Gnome King get, thought the Grand Gullipoot. The chief of the Whimsies now marched his false-headed forces into the tunnel. In his wicked little head was a plot to destroy both the first and foremost and the Grand Gullipoot. He intended to let them conquer Oz, since they insisted on going first, but he would afterward treacherously destroy them, as well as King Roquat, and to keep all the slaves and treasure of Ozma's kingdom for himself. After all his dangerous allies had marched into the tunnel, the Nome King and General Guff started to follow them at the head of fifty thousand gnomes, all fully armed. Guff, said the King, those creatures ahead of us mean mischief. They intend to get everything for themselves and leave us nothing. I know, replied the General, but they are not as clever as they think they are. When you get the magic belt... You must at once wish the Whimsies and Growlywogs and Banphasms all back into their own countries, and the belt will surely take them there. Good, cried the king. An excellent plan, Guff. I'll do it. While they are conquering Oz, I'll get the magic belt, and then only the gnomes will remain to ravage the country. So you see... There was only one thing that all were agreed upon, that Oz should be destroyed. On, on, on the vast ranks of invaders marched, filling the tunnel from side to side. With a steady tramp, tramp, they advanced, every step taking them nearer to the beautiful Emerald City. Nothing can save the land of Oz. 
thought the first and foremost, scowling until his bare face was as black as the tunnel. The Emerald City is as good as destroyed already, muttered the Grand Gullipoot, shaking his war club fiercely. <laughs> In a few hours, Oz will be a desert, said the Chief of the Whimsies with an evil laugh. My dear Guff, remarked the Gnome King to his general, at last my vengeance upon Ozma of Oz and her people is about to be accomplished. You are right, declared the general. Ozma is surely lost. And now the first and foremost, who was in advance and nearing the Emerald City, began to cough and to sneeze. This tunnel is terribly dusty, he growled angrily. I'll punish that gnome king for not having it swept clean. My throat and eyes are getting full of dust, and I'm as thirsty as a fish. The Grand Gallipoot was coughing, too, and his throat was parched and dry. What a dusty place, he cried. I'll be glad when we reach Oz where we can get a drink. Who has any water? asked the whimsy chief, gasping and choking. But none of his followers carried a drop of water, so he hastened on to get through the dusty tunnel to the land of Oz. "'Where did all this dust come from?' demanded General Guff, trying hard to swallow but finding his throat so dry he couldn't. "'I don't know,' answered the Gnome King. "'I've been in the tunnel every day while it was being built, but I never noticed any dust before.' "'Let's hurry,' cried the General. "'I give half the golden Oz for a drink of water.' The dust grew thicker and thicker, and the throats and eyes and noses of the invaders were filled with it. But not one halted or turned back. They hurried forward more fierce and vengeful than ever. End of chapter 27